If you would turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we will be reading, uh, our focus tonight is on verses 9 through 16, but we will be reading from 3 down to 16, um, because it all relates to that, um, or concerning the widows. So if you return your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 3, and we'll read all the way down to 16. And if you are able, uh, please stand up for the reading of God's word. And the title of my sermon is Significance of Family, Part 2. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 3, it reads, Support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness towards their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone that does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than any than, excuse me, than an unbeliever. Verse 9. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old and has been the wife of one husband and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ by, by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house, they are not, uh, not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine, in genuine need. With all that said, let's go to our Lord God in prayer once again. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And so I just come to you tonight, Lord, and I just plead with you, Lord. I just pray, Father, that this message, Lord, that the people of God and those who do not know you, I pray that they would see your commitment, your compassion, and your support. I pray, Father, that the women who are here, I pray, Father, that they will understand that they are important in God's kingdom, in your kingdom, Lord. Lord, I just... I just pray with all my heart and my soul, with all my mind, Lord, that, that they would see how big you really are. That through your son, Jesus Christ, that we have hope 
that we have security. But we have a companionship with you in this life and all of eternity. So I pray, Father, that you, were, that you will remove me. Allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me and to use me for your kingdom's sake. May your will be done. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. And we pray this in your son Jesus Christ's name and all the God's people say, amen. You may be seated. So as I said before, the, the, the passage that we're going to, or, or the, the verses that we're going to be focusing on is 9 all the way down to 16. Um, the central idea of this passage is that Paul provides guidelines on how Christians should care for and support widows in the Christian community. And we repeat that. Paul provides guidelines on how Christians should care for and support widows in the Christian community. God commands his church to be accountable to widows. That is a huge responsibility. And it's not something to be taken lightly. So we really need to sit down and really ask ourselves some really tough questions. Are we entirely prepared as a church to handle this responsibility? And this is not just a simple fact that, yeah, we are prepared because we can just give the financial support. No, that's not being prepared. Who's on staff? Who's our first line of defense? Do we even have a, a policy in regards to widows? Because at the end of the day, that's how we're going to be prepared. See, in the military, see, I, I was in the Navy for 10 years. And all we do is prepare. We prepare for war. We prepare for different scenarios. We have war games. We're preparing. We're always preparing. Why? Because whenever there's a crisis that happens, we are not running around with our heads cut off wondering, well, what am I supposed to do here? We know how to handle it. We have people in place to do certain jobs, to do certain duties, to carry out certain responsibilities, so then that way we can be able to respond in, in an instance. So the question is, is like, are, we are we really prepared for this responsibility? Because if we don't know the answer to those questions, then we are not prepared. The next question. How can we, as a church, navigate this delicate balance between providing genuine care and, and preventing potential uh, pitfalls? How do we do that? How can we balance between aiding and encouraging self-sufficiency? How? Well, Paul tells us how to do this. As we explore this passage, guided by Paul's wisdom here, we discover the critical concepts for sufficiently caring for widows. This evening, we will examine the Apostle Paul's framework of compassionate care and responsible stewardship. Church, I broke this down into really three parts. And, and just for us to kind of really grasp and really understand exactly what Paul has to say here. So when it comes to verses 9 and 10, I title this as such. How the church must treat widows with dignity and compassion. That's in verses 9 and 10. How the church must treat widows with dignity and compassion. 
The next section, section two, what I, I put, put, is 11 through 15. And in this section is how the church must keep younger widows from losing their purpose. I'm going to repeat that again. How the church must keep younger widows from losing their purpose. And then last is verse 16. How the church exists to assist widows genuinely in need. How the church exists to assist widows genuinely in need. Now, church, the last time I preached, we learned in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 8, that the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy regarding the treatment of widows within the church community. He emphasizes the importance of caring for genuinely needed widows with no other means of support. Paul urges Timothy to encourage believers to take responsibility for their families, particularly in providing for their widowed relatives. He also states that those who neglect this duty are worse than unbelievers. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So tonight, we will transition from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 8, to verses 9 all the way down to 16, and continue to explore Paul's uh, guidance on widows. In this passage, Paul addresses a specific group of widows eligible for church support. He outlines specific criteria that must be met for a widow to be enrolled. To fully grasp the, the weight of responsibility here, the Lord has placed on the church, there's some things we got to look at. Some things we, we, we must highlight here. For instance, it is crucial to understand the cultural context in which this passage was written. You see, in the first century, widows were often viewed as vulnerable and dependent as they had lost their primary means of support through their husbands. The church was expected to care for these widows, but there were concerns about fraud and abuse of the system. As such, Paul provides specific guidelines for the kind of widows the church should support. This passage is significant for churches today and all future churches because these requirements ensure that resources are distributed effectively and efficiently. This is important because it prevents the church resources from being misappropriated and it allows them to be used most efficiently to spread the word of God, to spread the gospel. I have one more essential point to make. The qualifications listed in the passage are not subjective or based on personal bias. The Apostle Paul's list does not represent a one-size-fits-all solution here. The passage, the, passage, the passage acknowledges that each widow's situation is different and that these qualifications are broad guidelines that must be interpreted in the context of each case. Thus, the passage serves as a starting point for the church's care of widows, which must be adapted and tailored to meet the widow's need. Remember, please remember, that this passage is more than just a compilation of ancient words that's written on paper here. It is a divine message that is transcending time and speaking to our hearts. It acts as a beacon, illuminating the path for fulfilling our Christian duties to widows. So tonight, we'll start with looking at verses 9 and 10, 
where Paul specifies for widows to be enrolled in the church support system. This demands a closer look at age, married history, and the presence of good works, right? So let me read verses 9 and 10 once again. It reads that no widow is to be enrolled is to be uh, enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old and has been the wife of one husband and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, and helped the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. You see, in verses 9 and 10, it provides a framework for identifying widows who are deserving of support from the church. First, the church should consider the age of widows when determining their eligibility for support. The pastor states that widows who are at least 60 years old should be enrolled. This age requirement recognizes that older widows may face more challenges and have fewer opportunities for financial stability. By prioritizing the, uh, uh, for older, widow, old, older widows, sorry, the church demonstrates its commitment to caring for those who may be more vulnerable. To really get a, a, a good idea of the fewer opportunities and the vulnerabilities, I want us to, to turn our focus on the book of Ruth here. There is a woman named Naomi who serves as an illustration of someone with limited opportunities and evident vulnerability. So if you would turn to Ruth chapter 1, please turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. And as you're making your way there, I'm going to give a summary of Naomi's predicament here. Now, the book of Ruth starts with the story of a woman named Naomi, who left her hometown Bethlehem with her husband and two sons to a famine, due to a famine. Naomi's husband dies soon after, and her two sons marry Moabite women, Oprah and Ruth. Unfortunately, Naomi's sons pass away, leaving Naomi and her daughter-in-laws as widows. At some point in the book, Naomi returns to Bethlehem, where she came from, and attempts to persuade her daughter-in-laws to return to their own families. Oprah decides to leave, but Ruth refuses, and famously stating, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Right? So that's the, 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 the background of what's going on here in the book of Ruth. So if you will look down to verse 11, I'm going to read all the way down to verse 13 here. It reads, but Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have more sons who can become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for, for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is too bitter for you to share. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. The issue of older widows with fewer opportunities and vulnerabilities expected in this passage. The issue dates back centuries and is present in many, uh, in many uh, cultures and societies. The Bible 
Specifically, the Old Testament contains various laws and regulations for the care of widows and the, and the marginalized. However, it seems that older widows like Naomi are often left out of these provisions. One explanation for this phenomenon is that in ancient times, as in many cultures today, the value of women was primarily based on their ability to bear children, provide for their families, right? Older, older women who had already accomplished this were often seen as no longer valuable or important to society. This is reflected in the passage we just read here in Ruth where Naomi expresses her lack of work due to her age and her inability to have more children. And on top of that, it is essential to note that the issue of older widows not having opportunities is not just a matter of societal attitudes, but also as a result of systemic and economic factors. You see, in many cultures, women could not inherit property or wealth and often depended on their husband for financial support. When a woman's husband died, she and her children were left vulnerable and without resources. So I just really wanted to really call attention to Paul's justification here for enrolling widows of at least 60 because it is rooted in the knowledge that older widows who have few, who has few opportunities will find it difficult to sustain their families and locate secure sources of income. Enrolling them gives them access to resources and a safety net they might not otherwise have. So let's move to verse 10, because Paul does not stop with age here when it comes to enrolling widows. In verse 10, it emphasizes the significance of a widow's personality and marital history. According to Paul, a widow should have been, what? The wife of one husband. It really kind of mirrors that of uh, 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 1 Timothy chapter 3 when it comes to the qualifications of that of an overseer or an elder, right? That they must be what? A one-woman man. This statement emphasizes uh, that widows who have been faithful in their marriages should be, uh, should, should, sorry, should be prioritized in obtaining church support. This requirement highlights the importance of marital devotion and commitment. You see, it's, it's once again highlighting that of the qualifications of the elder. It's, it, it, goes, it goes the same way with the widow here, that she is not lusting after any other man. Her focus is her husband. She's not promiscuous. She's not committing adultery. Why? Because her focus is on her husband. Furthermore, uh, Paul cites various characteristics and activities that show a widow's reputation for doing good works. This include raising children, displaying hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, which is a symbol of humility, caring for the sick, and committing oneself to all good works. These characteristics reflect a, a widow's dedication to assisting others and living a moral life. The church should consider these qualities when determining a widow's eligibility for support since they represent the widow's character and service to the Christian community. Now, I want to back up here for a minute because in the Bible, where it says raising children, notice it doesn't give a pronoun. It doesn't say raise their children. It says raising children. And there's a, there's a reason for that because back in Roman times and Greece times, there was a lot of orphans. A lot of orphans were either uh, abandoned by their parents 
if it's a legit, uh, illegitimate child that were abandoned, right? Uh, due to also uh, uh, financial uh, financial needs, like they just can't support the, the the child financially, so they will be dropped off in, in orphanage and all that stuff. But what would happen is that these Christian churches and these Christian women would take these children into their homes, and they would raise these children. Look at displaying hospitality. How these women are, 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 are taking these strangers and washing their feet and, and so forth. The, the point that, that I want us to understand here, that this widow, that, that, that the older widow, is displaying acts of service. That's what Paul is pointing out to right here, right? Her husband, she's, she's, she's devoted to her husband. She's supporting her husband. She serves her husband. And not only her husband, but she's willing to serve children that is perhaps not even their own children. You see, acts of service. When it comes to hospitality, she's serving others. When it comes to strangers or those who, who, uh, who uh, in the Christian community that may need a, uh, a place to stay, she's there willing to serve. These are acts of service. She is a servant woman. And the great thing about this is that the Christian community recognizes this. She's known for these good works. She's, she has a reputation for doing these things, these acts of services. Now, following the recommendation in verses 9 and 10 is that the church can fulfill its commitment to treating, uh, treating widows with respect and compassion by following the guidelines, which we saw in verses 9 and 10. The church can select widows who deserve assistance by considering age, marital history, and a reputation for good works. By taking these steps, the church may honor its commitment to serve widows with respect and compassion. Next, we'll move on to verses 11 through 15. Now, this section is that, uh, I, um, I titled it as, The Church Must Keep Younger widows from losing their purpose. So let me read uh, 11 and through now 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. But refuse to enroll the younger widows, for they are drawn away from Christ by desire. They want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. And they are not only idle, but they also gossip and busybody, saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. In the early church, groups of widows performed official church duties. This was like a, an official office that was taking place in the early church. The women and children of the church were the direct recipients of this godly group of women. They assisted in women's baptism, visited sick people and prisons, uh, visited people in prisons. They taught, they disciplined younger women, assisted younger women in caring for and raising their children, hosted guests and strangers, right? So, Excuse me. If, uh, if I can get some water, someone give me some water because my mouth is dry. Sorry. 
Thank you. With their husbands gone and their children being grown, those widows had the time to pursue such essential ministries. Now, as we go back to verse 11, at first glance, we, we may, we may kind of take this as Paul being harsh towards younger widows, right? <laughs> Refuse to enroll younger widows. That may come out to be harsh, but it is essential to recognize that Paul is not criticizing them because of their age, but because of their behavior. It's because of their behavior. Paul warns the church against adding younger widows to a list of those getting financial assistance because some younger widows have been led astray from their faith in Christ by passions or desires, right? Let's look at the word desire here. The word desire, uh, the, the, word, the word desire mentioned here is specifically related to marriage. According to Paul, some younger wid- widows have sought remarriage because of their desire for intimacy and companionship, right? So you might be asking yourself, well, what's wrong with that? Like, why is it so problematic for younger w- widows to marry? Well, the issue is not marriage. It's because we can see, excuse me, we can see that in verse 14 that Paul is actually encouraging younger, uh, younger widows to marry, right? The issue is that these younger widows have pledged. They have pledged. You see, at the end of verse 12, Paul states that younger widows have what? Have renounced their original pledge. They have renounced the original pledge. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. Meaning that these widows have broken what? They have broken a vow. They have broken a promise. They have broken a pledge. So the next question we got to ask ourselves is, what is it meant by the original pledge? Well, what is that? Well, it refers to women's commitment while signing up as the official church widows. Right. So when the younger widows were acknowledged as registered widows, they vowed to serve the Lord for the rest of their lives. They vowed to devote themselves to Christ rather than a husband. To serve the church, they promised to keep their single status. They agreed to pray and serve the Christian community in exchange for financial assistance. That's the problem. Some younger widows could not uphold really their promise, their pledge, their their vows, because their yearning for marriage and closeness distracted them from their devotion to Christ and their Christ-related duties. It had resulted in their condemnation because they had broken their original pledge. So let me kind of break it down to you for a minute. So if you ever, you guys remember at least, uh, when it comes to Pastor John ordination, right? He, uh, where the church came and they lay hands on him, and and um, and um, uh, obviously by God's will that uh, that he will be a pastor here at this church, right? We see the laying hands of when it comes to you know certain deacons and stuff in the church, or whatever that we lay hands on them that this is uh, the office is what they're going to devote themselves to, right? And it's the same way with the widows. It was an official office that the widows did. And so officially by public, 
they gave recognition that this, these are the things they promised they're going to do. They're going to keep their, their single status. They're going to remain to, uh, to focus on Christ and, and to do the church-related duties that's expected of them. And in return, they will receive financial assistance. But these younger women didn't... Let's just say, I, I think that some of them come to regret that decision, regret that, that pledge. Because now the desire to have that companionship, to have that intimacy has now, uh, uh, has, has really superseded what they originally pledged. And that became a problem. As Paul uses the term here, condemnation, right? Now, this term has several different interpretations. I'm going to read you all three interpretations. Uh, the widow received criticism in the form of judgment from others. Consequently, the younger widow will face criticism from the public congregation. So once again, highlighting that she made this pledge, she broke the pledge, and now condemnation follows. So now she's all of a sudden in, in uh, condemnation in front of the congregation, meaning that she's in trouble. She's broken her pledge, and now she's being, she's being judged by the, the, uh, the public congregation. That's one interpretation. The second interpretation uh, reads that it may indicate that they have completely abandoned their original faith, their Christian faith, meaning that they decided to reject Jesus Christ, right? And which, if you look down at verse 15, um, it, it does make a really good, strong possibility of that. And in three, the, the last one, or it, could, it, it, or it can apply that their consciousness condemns them, Right? So they know, they know that they made this pledge before the church, they have broken their pledge, and now they're feeling the guilt of and the weight of them knowing that they had uh, uh, broken that pledge, right? Moving on to verse 13. In verse 13, it is here that Paul identifies further negative characteristics that he associates with the uh, with these idle younger uh, idle younger widows. He mentions that they, be, they they become idle they become idle. And uh, let me pause here for a minute because once again this is all related to that of the pledge, right? The pledge, a part of the pledge, was that they were they're going to be doing what church related services. Right? They're, they're going to be committed to the work of that of the church. But these widows, these younger widows, didn't do that. They became idle. They, did, they refused to do the work, but yet they still wanted to receive the financial assistance from the church. So we see that there is some type of abuse and fraud that was going on here at the church. Right? So that's what Paul is meaning here is just like uh, when it comes to being idle. Um, so they're being idle, and they go from house to house gossiping and meddling in other people's affairs. Um, let me pause here when it comes to gossiping, because I really want us to get the picture of how this was, uh, uh, how the world was looking at the church, because it didn't just stop within the church walls. It bled out of the church walls, and so people in, a, uh, uh, in Ephesus were just like, ah, I don't know about going to that church, you know. The reason for that, and, and I think, it doesn't go into great detail, but here's my reasoning. My reasoning is this, is that you have a younger widow who's being idle. They're not doing anything right. And so they go to the other friend's house and her friend 
is uh, have unbelievers in her home, right? And so she's over there. She's preaching the gospel to, to them and telling them about the, the, the things of that of Jesus Christ, right? And so the younger widow comes in and she starts gossiping, right? And um, let me just pick something. Um, so this younger widow is gossiping uh, about uh, Pastor Timothy here at the church. And she's gossiping at the simple fact that he does not know how to cook a, 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 a rack of lamb, right? So she's, she's going around. She's saying all this stuff in front of the, the, non-belie- the, the non-believers and stuff. And she's gossiping about this. And her friend's like, oh, girl, you're right. You know, it's like, you know that? You know, you know how some of those gossip things are happening, right? And so all the meanwhile, the, the unbelievers are sitting there and they're registering all this stuff. And they'd be like, wait, wait, isn't I heard about Timothy. Isn't he the pastor of this church? And so they end up gossiping about him, right? So in highlight, the unbelievers are just like, okay, thank you very much. We're going we're gonna to scoot on out. Do you think, let me just put it in everyone's mind. Let's look at it all together. Would you want to go to a place where there's gossip and you're the victim of being, the, uh, you're the victim of it? Would you, would you go? Wouldn't you warn your friends about, hey, don't go to that place because all they do is gossip, right? So just imagine those unbelievers are doing the same thing. It's just like they're going around Ephesus. like, look, I don't know what they're talking about, Christ and all that stuff, but they sure don't know how to act Christ-like because they're talking about how Christ demonstrates love, his commitment, his compassion, and so forth and so forth. And yet they're talking bad about the pastor, So that gets out, right? There's a reason why Paul pinned this down, because it was a, it was a, a big issue. And not only gossiping, but they were meddling in other people's affairs. These actions are seen as, un, as unbecoming of a follower of Christ and, and can contribute to a negative reputation of the church of Christ. And so this is what Paul has to say here, because this cannot go any further. This cannot take place anymore. So to prevent these adverse outcomes here, Paul advises the younger widows to what? They should marry, bear children, manage their household, avoid any opportunity for slander or, or, or criticism from outsiders, right? By, and this is the focus where Paul is getting at. By focusing on family responsibilities and maintaining a, virtual, a virtuous lifestyle, they can guard against being led astray and provide a positive witness to the Christian faith. Right? Here's the thing. They had too much time on their hands. Let me show you a, a, a difference. You know, and it's, it's and, and, I'm, and, I, and I just want to preferences. It's like, look, I'm getting older, so I understand the effects of getting older. It's like, I can no longer play basketball the way you play basketball. I can no longer, you know, do the things I used to do when I was 20, you know, 20, uh, 20 years old, right? I used to be active. I used to do all this stuff. You know, when, it, when Paul talks about the, the, age, uh, uh, the, the, um, the age requirement for older women, the age 60 was actually a retirement age where one would live uh, or where before they were living an active life and now they're, they're, they're living a quiet life. 
So as we get older, right, we tend to be a little bit more slow paced in, in what we do, right? So think, you know, a, a lady who's 60 years old, they're going to be a little bit slow. So to, get, to illustrate that or put a picture up, so think about, you know, there's a yard that's full of weeds, right? So you're going to have a, you have the, the, the 60 year old go out there and start doing the weeds. And then you're going to have the younger widow or, or younger woman go out there and do, uh, do the weeds. Who do you think is going to be uh, faster in that, could complete their job a whole lot faster? The younger widow. She's stronger. She has all this energy. She's going to get the job done. So I'm, I'm assuming that what took place is just like they were able, some widows were able to get their job done quickly, but yet they had all this excessive amount of time and they didn't know what to do with themselves, right? So Paul is like, look, it, younger widows, look, I'm advising you. It's probably best for you guys just to get married, have children, run a household. So then that way you don't have all this excessive amount of time. Because me being a, a husband and having two girls, they keep me busy. They keep me busy. <laughs> and, but it wasn't so much the case of some of these younger widows, right? Now, in verse 15, Paul introduces a cautionary statement here regarding younger widows. He goes on to say that some have already turned a way to follow Satan, right? Now, the phrase follow Satan in verse 15 is an expression Paul uses to emphasize the really just the negative consequence that arise if, a younger, uh, if, if younger widows are not effectively guided or supported. It, it, it implies that if these women were left without proper care or oversight, they may be vulnerable to influence that could lead them uh, could. could could lead them away from their commitment to Christ and into a lifestyle contrary to Christian values. I kind of hope you, you, you understood why I titled this in this uh, from verses 11 through 15, the way I titled it. Let me go back and read it to you. The church must keep younger widows from losing their purpose. There is a responsibility of the church to ensure that these younger widows are taken care of, but not just sitting here taken care of by just giving them money, but they're, that they're being guided. There is some, somebody being guided. It reminds me that of Titus chapter 2, where Paul begins at chapter 2. is like, look, the church... church you guys are supposed to do things with sound doctrine. But then he moves on to talk about the, the relationships that are going on in the church, right? So the, the, the older men teaching the younger men, then the older women teaching the younger women, right? See, there's a, there's a sense of guidance here. There's a sense of support. It's not just about, you, you know, you do, you know, the, the, the young men, oh, they got their own thing doing, don't, don't mind them. No, that's not what God has intended the church to do, Right? So the church must keep younger widows from losing their purpose. They must keep them from losing their purpose. If we do not, the younger widows will be driven away from Christ by desires for remarriage, 
you know, or the potential negative consequences that could arise from their idleness and gossiping and meddling in other people's affairs, right? That's a job, that's a responsibility that we have to give oversight to. And we have to answer to God about that. Verse 16, as I titled this, how the church exists to assist widows genuinely in need. Now, according to verse 16, the question is, is how does the church exist to help widows who are actually in need? Right? This verse highlights the the responsibility of individual believers here. Individual believers. We got to stop getting the mindset that, you know, that the church is just a building. We as individuals, as brothers and sisters in Christ, make up the church. I just really want us to understand that. So this verse highlights the responsibility of of individual believers to care for the widows within their own families or communities. It emphasizes that those who have the means to support widows should do so willingly and generously. By doing so, they alleviate what? The burden on the church and enable it to focus its resources on helping widows who are actually genuinely in need and the lack of other forms of support. See, what was going on there in in the church is that they had too many widows. They had way too many widows during that time. It's it's very sad to hear, but that's the issue that that Timothy was, was engaging. It's like, man, we got way too many widows here. So we need to focus on actually those that, that really need the support, right? Because there's only, there's only so much resources that the church can have. They can't support every, every widow that's out there. You see, the church role in assisting widows goes beyond, and I just want to say this, it goes, it goes beyond than just financial aid here. It, it encompasses providing emotional support companionship, practical assistance as well. The church is called to be a community that cares for its members, especially those who find themselves in vulnerable situations such as widowhood. So once again, highlighting, are we actually prepared? Do we have anything in place of that, right? To to be able to, to manage the emotional side for the widows. So let me just go back to Naomi's case here. And I'm just only going to highlight two issues that was going on with Naomi here. The first is social isolation here. How she just kind of just wanted to take her her, her, uh, daughter-in-law's just like, you guys just go back to your, to to Moab and I'll just kind of just wander and do whatever I got to do, right? You see, in the face of grief, individuals often uh, withdraw from social interactions, seeking solence in their own emotions. The loss of a husband can intensify the, this inclination towards isolation as the, as the surviving partner may struggle to seek comfort and understanding from friends and family. So going back to Naomi's case, look, she did, she did not just lose a husband, right? She has lost her two sons. Not one, but two sons. Just imagine the, the grief that she is going through. Not only did she permanently lose the the, the, her husband, her partner, her life partner, 
who, helped brought, who, who, who brought about these two children in the world, she has now lost two children. Just imagine, I, I, it just, it just kind of took me back to the, to the day when my daughters were born, being in that delivery room and, and now raising them up to, to, to be godly women. It would bring so much grief if I were to lose them. So just imagine in, in Naomi's case, she is devastated. And this probably didn't happen within years. All of a sudden, her husband died, and then, you know, you, you know, 10 years later, her son died. It, it, the, 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 script, the scripture seemed to apply that this happened almost kind of rapidly here. So one is social isolation. Two, self-destructive coping mechanisms here. Let me tell you what that is. You see, in an attempt to cope with overwhelming emotions following the loss of a husband, some individuals may turn to self-destructive behaviors. These behaviors include excessive drinking, substance abuse, or, or risky activities. While these coping mechanisms are undoubtedly harmful, it is essential to understand that they are an attempt to numb emotional pain, right? But it's in an unhealthy manner. So going back to, once again, looking at Naomi's case, she was operating in a self-destructive uh, coping mechanism here. There was no way that a woman her age is going to survive out on her own, especially during those times. You have bandits, you have robbers, you have people out there, you know, snatching people up for, you know, slavery. And often at times... The, the, the women that can't support themselves ended up putting themselves into prostitution. There was no way that she could survive out there. So when she's talk, telling her daughter-in-law, just please leave, it was self-destructive. There was no way. In addition to individual believers taking responsibility for caring for widows, the church as a whole also has a role to play here. It should create an environment where widows feel valued, supported, and included. This can be achieved through various means, such as organizing support groups, offering biblical counseling services, ensuring access to necessary resources. See, the thing is, is it's like, just because you reach, uh, reach a certain age, God is not done with you, Right? Because the, 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 when you reach the age of 60 back in Paul's time, it was just like you had, you had tons of wisdom. You have experience, right? And these are the, the things that the older women can teach the younger women, right? So I remember when um, my, uh, my daughter, Nyla, was being, uh, she was the firstborn. And I'm just sitting here like, I don't know what to do, like, like, it, it was so great being at the hospital because they were doing everything for you. But then when you had to take your, 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 your own one home, you're just like, I don't know what to do. And I remember walking in the, uh, walking in the door, and, and Nyla is just crying. And then uh, I have a cat, and his name's Samson. Boy, that cat ran up that stairs so fast. He was like, what is going on here? Like, this is something completely different, you know? So the dynamics change, right? But, but you see, the great thing about it is that I was a part of a church back then where I had older men who was giving me wisdom. They shared some of their experiences with me. And the older women did the same for my wife. 
so we weren't alone on this, right? Look, the church commitment to helping widows in need is rooted in the biblical teachings emphasizing compassion, justice, love for one another. Throughout the Bible, there are numerous references to God's concern for widows and his call for his people to care for them. So, for example, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, God commands his people not to mistreat or oppress the widows. We see that in Exodus chapter 22, 22 to all the way down to 24. In the book of Psalms, God is, is uh, described as a defender of the widows, right? In Psalms 68, 5, Jesus himself demonstrated care and compassion for widows during his ministry, as he's seen in instances such as the story of the widow's offering in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, even with his own mother when he was up on the cross. You see, 1 Timothy highlights the, the church's responsibility to help needy wid uh, widows. This assistance goes beyond financial support. It encompasses emotional and practical and social care, right? By fulfilling this role, the church demonstrates its commitment to following biblical teachings and, and really exemplifying Christ's love for all. Let me just say this, church. If the, if the New Testament church, the, the churches today, does not follow Paul's instructions that is outlined here in verse, verses 9 and 16, regarding the care of supportive widows here, several potential outcomes and challenges, I would say, will arise. It's not could, it will. Because we already seen that with the younger widows, right? It is crucial to remember that Paul's advice in this passage was adapted to his day's cultural and social environment. And that each generation's uh, unique circumstances should be considered while interpreting and applying the teachings. To effectively care for widows and the vulnerable, the church must uphold biblical values while adjusting to the modern context. What I mean here is that back in the day, uh, uh, in, 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 Rome, in, in Romans time or Paul's day there, they didn't have 401ks. They didn't have Social Security back in those days. They didn't have welfare programs to be able to uh, help the, the fatherless and, and to help the widows. They didn't have that. But here in America, we do, right? And so this is now, this is a responsibility when it comes to the widows. It's like we, we as a church should encourage the widows to go after those programs, uh, to, to get assistance from those programs. And as a church, we make up the difference, right? But we're going to be there for you emotionally, right? We're going to have a, a, a set of group of ladies or even group of men because men become widows too that, that's going to come alongside you and help you and to uh, deal with this really uh, tragic time. These difficulties, right? So a conclusion, I, I really challenge the church. I challenge the church to emulate Ruth from the book of Ruth. As... Look, Ruth exhibited commitment, compassion, and support. You see, in the book of Ruth, uh, we're looking at Ruth here. She demonstrates her commitment and compassion and support for her mother-in-law, Naomi, through various actions and decisions. 
These acts of loyalty and love highlight Ruth's character and showcase her unwavering dedication to her mother-in-law, her family. First, Ruth is committed to Naomi by refusing to leave her side, right? You see, after the death of her husbands, Naomi urges both of her daughter-in-laws to what? To leave. Just, just go and do your thing. Leave me, let, let me be. But Ruth did not do that, right? You see, while Orpah decides to, you know, I'm just going to take off, right? But Ruth decides to stay. In Ruth, you know, I already read, uh, I'm going to give you the reference because I already read it. But in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Ruth had to say this to her mother-in-law. It's like, look, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. There is a commitment there. This declaration of commitment showcases Ruth's deep love for Naomi and her willingness to, uh, to uh, and really just her willingness to forsake her homeland and family ties to support, you know, uh, yeah, her homeland and her family. She is there to support her mother-in-law. By choosing to stay with Naomi, Ruth demonstrates an unwavering devotion and her determination to stand by her through thick and thin, through thick and thin. She's like, look, girl, we're in this together. Second, Ruth exhibits compassion towards Naomi by taking on the responsibility for providing for them. You see, in the, in, in the book, we learned that Ruth goes out into the fields to glean whatever, uh, to glean leftover grain after the harvesters. This gleaning allowed the poor and the marginalized members of society to, to gather food, to be able to feed themselves. Ruth's decision to take on this laborious task shows her self-sacrifice and willingness to work hard to support her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth's compassion is further highlighted when she encounters what? Boaz, right? A wealthy landowner who takes notice of her diligence and kindness towards who? Her mother-in-law, Naomi. Boaz allows Ruth to glean in his fields without interference and even instructs his workers to leave extra grain for her intentionally. Let me just say this because back in those times, back in those days, the Moabites and the Israelites were not on friendly terms. They were enemies, so all of a sudden, when they see this Moabite woman comes to their to Bethlehem, they're just like, what's going on here? Right? And there may have been some, I think, uh, I'll just leave it because I'm not really sure, so I want to make sure I read it just to be sure. Um, but nonetheless, she, she was in a, uh, Ruth was in a country that she doesn't know. A people that she does not know. But here we see this act of generation, uh, uh, generosity from Boaz directly results from the compassionate nature and a commitment to caring for Naomi. See, it is here that if we are continually to be compassionate and, and, and loving and committed to our, our widows here, the outside world will see that. They will take notice of that. So in the same way that Boaz took notice of it. It's just like, well, who's this woman? She doesn't know our customs and so forth and so forth. But I believe that she did. So I won't go into, entirely into that. But he took notice, right? Last, Ruth provides support for Naomi by following the advice given to her by Naomi herself. In Ruth chapter 3, Naomi instructs Ruth to approach Boaz and to seek his protection and provision as potential kinsman redeemer. 
Ruth follows Naomi's guidance precisely, showing her trust in her mother-in-law's wisdom and willingness to do whatever it takes to secure the future. So once again, highlighting this is like older women, you have a place in God's kingdom. God is not done with you. All the knowledge, your experience, your wisdom, and, and, and when it comes to God, man, that... That is, that is going to help out the church immensely. So we see that Naomi has helped out Ruth immensely. But throughout the book of Ruth, Ruth's actions exemplifies commitment, compassion, and support for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Her, unwaver, her unwavering loyalty, selfishness, selfishness, and obedience demonstrate the depth of her relationship and the length she is willing to go to ensure their well-being. So I ask the church, let us emulate that of Ruth, right? That took a lot out of me. But um, so with that said, um, yeah, let's just go to our Lord God in prayer. Lord, there's definitely a lot that um, that we have learned from the Apostle Paul. And, and first of all, we just want to thank you so much for um, Apostle Paul's willingness to serve you. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have uh, given him the, the knowledge and the wisdom and, and the spiritual guidance to be able to, um, to pour into young Timothy here and to instruct him in the ways of, of, of who you are. I pray, Father, that as a church, Lord, that we will take these truths, Lord, and that we will uh, be doers of it, Lord. I pray, Father, that we will just really just ask, like, simple questions. It's like, so are we really prepared for this? Who is our first line of defense? Who do we have staffed? Is there any type of policy that's written so we know what to do in, in a certain situation because I don't want us to be with our heads cut off and just like, uh, 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 you are the one in charge, you know? But I think in a, uh, when we look at this, Lord, in a nutshell, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your compassion, your commitment to us, your support. even though we may fail miserably. But we're thankful, Lord, that you are always with us to uplift us, to guide us, especially giving us your Holy Spirit. So I pray, Father, that, that this message has stirred up hearts to really ask the question, are we really are there to support those with fewer opportunities, the, those who are vulnerable? And I pray for the widows who are out there that perhaps it may feel that they got nothing to offer. Lord, according to your word, they have much to offer. I pray for the younger widows, Lord, that they would continue to follow the purpose or the roadmap that you have established for them. I pray, Father, that their focus will continue to remain in you. And I just pray, Father, that they would continue to remain in the church so that, that will, so they will not uh, follow Satan. So we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, may your name 
And I know it will forever, forever be praised. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus Christ's name and all the God's people say.